Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Hi, and welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to have a quick shout out to all the listeners and subscribers saying thank you for um, being a part of this with me. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your tuning in week after week. As always, if you have suggestions about what you would like to hear on the podcast, guests, ideas, topics, You can contact me through womanwarriors.com. There's a contact link. If you click that, it'll open up an email that you can just send right to me with your ideas and thoughts. So I appreciate any feedback and suggestions. Our guest this week is Susan Piver. She is a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, including The Hard Questions, the award-winning How Not to Be Afraid of Your Own Life, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, Start Here Now, An Open-Hearted Guide to the Path and Practice of Meditation, and her most recent book, The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships. Beyond writing, Piver is an internationally acclaimed meditation teacher known for her ability to translate ancient practices into modern life. She teaches workshops and speaks on relationships, creativity, and spirituality. She has been a student of Buddhism since 1995, graduated from a Buddhist seminary in 2004, and was authorized to teach meditation by the Shambhala Buddhist lineage in 2005. Her works have been featured on The Oprah Show, Today, CNN, and in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Money, Parade, and other publications. In 2012, she founded the Open Heart Project, the largest virtual mindfulness community in the world. I hope you enjoy the conversation. This week's episode is sponsored by Progression Counseling. Providing Maryland residents with individual, group, and online counseling for the overstressed, overwhelmed, and overanxious. Find out more at progressioncounseling.com. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So my sister-in-law, who helps me with the show notes, and she also um, edits some of my blogs, she sent me this little mini link to, I guess it was like a question and answer, and your answer about how to manage anxiety really spoke to how I work with my clients. I'm a therapist in Annapolis, and the whole attitude about instead of pushing it away, kind of welcoming it in and acknowledging it really spoke to me. And I reached out to you. And so here you are. So that's exciting. Perfect. Yeah, it's a nice little journey. So if you don't mind telling the audience a little bit about you and uh, what 
brought you to where you are today as an author and a and a meditation teacher. Sure. I have been a Buddhist practitioner since 1993, and I took refuge, which is the name of the ceremony where you formally become a Buddhist, although no one has to become a Buddhist, certainly, mm-hmm. to take advantage of these practices and teachings. But I've been practicing and studying these, you know, meditation and certain Buddhist views and other practices, other meditation practices for for a long time. And I fell into writing and teaching kind of backwards, which for better or worse seems to be the path for me <laughs> always <laughs> fall backwards into something. Yeah. And I'm not being disingenuous and saying, oh, I was just wandering around and awesome things happened. It's, <laughs> it's not like that at all. <laughs> it's just whenever I've tried to plan my life, it hasn't worked. Mm. But things seem to arise as uh, interesting invitations. So, anyway, a long time ago, 20 years ago now, I was a Buddhist practitioner. But I was also getting married. And I had never been married. And I was... I did not know how anyone could promise to love someone because, mm. you know, it, how can you promise that? Yeah. So I went to the bookstore before I is to try to help me figure out how do I make this decision? How how do you make this commitment to someone in a way that is genuine and and honest? Yeah. And there really were no books that. I hope maybe there are now, but then there weren't. Yeah. There were books about dresses and, you know. Wedding planning and. Yeah. Right. And I love dresses and all that. <laughs> it wasn't really getting to the heart of the matter. So I just went back to my own apartment and started thinking about it. And I realized that my relationships in the past didn't fail because nobody loved, you know, we didn't stop loving each other. Every, I still love all my old relationships, but Mm -hmm. they failed because we were unable to create a life that we both loved. Mm. So, I wrote down questions about our life with Mm -hmm. my boyfriend. Where are we going to live? And what is your kid going to call me? And anyway, long story short, it, it, that, those questions became a book. And that book really by, you know, coincidence and, and that book similarly by coincidence just like two years after it was out, it's just started to sell like hotcakes. And mm, wow, then I was able to write more books because I had had this odd outlier success. And so that's nine books ago. And wow. I have got with each book just gotten more and more direct with my own experience as both a wife and a practitioner. Or, you know, mm. someone in real life, in other words. Yeah. And, a you know, a, a devoted student of this particular spiritual path. So, my most recent book just came out a few months ago. It's called The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I um, was fortunate enough to get a copy from your assistant, and I'm probably about halfway through, so I'm sorry to say I didn't haven't finished it yet, but That's okay. it, it has some great insights, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I uh, was on your website recently and 
just trying to get a better sense of you and uh, who you are. And I just wanted to say that I appreciate how much you share of yourself with your uh, followers and audience. Um, I think that it any time that you're advocating for a certain thing, you know, for you meditation and bringing that into your life, it's nice to hear someone else's journey and what that's been like. Mm. And you share that you have struggled with anxiety yourself in the past. And so I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that with the audience. Sure. Yeah, I don't mind at all. Okay. Um, yeah, anxiety, yes, as a blanket term. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know people who are, have a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. and it, and I, it's so painful. And But that's a little different than... Just sort what of the, I have experienced. Yeah, the everyday sort of little bits of anxiety that pop up and it's a, if, that's, if that's what you're talking about. Actually, I mean like the anxiety for me rather than this sort of general sense of agitation or dread or uh, worry, which mm-hmm. of course everybody has agitation and dread and worry, but mm-hmm. out of control, I, I my anxiety showed up as panic attacks. mm Random, unpredictable panic attacks. Oof. Yeah, not fun. No. Uh, related, I, you know, no one can really tell you this is because of that. But I have post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. from a bad, you know, wreck a long time ago. Mm. And the best I can tell, that's why. Yeah. But it doesn't matter why. Sure. You know, one of the things I, I mean, it does. It's, it's important why. But one of the things I discovered is that no matter how nuanced your why is, no matter how precise and accurate, it doesn't change pain. No. It make, I don't have to tell you this, I'm sure. It, it makes it easier to hold in a sort of way, but it doesn't make pain hurt less. Mm-mm. So, for me, panic attacks, which I don't get very much these days, although they're unpredictable, they could come back, but it's been some years, maybe six or seven years even, that I don't get them, yeah. or I can see them coming, mm-hmm. and I can, they just don't attack me the way they used to for whatever reason, but mm-hmm. it used to be quite um, debilitating. Oh my gosh, they are debilitating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You, you described, um, I think on one of your live meditation, or not live, recorded meditations on your website about being on a plane and you know, feeling like you had to get off and how scary it was to feel this sense of dread and fear and really not understand, well, one, not being able to control it, but two, then how do you move past that? Right. Yeah, Yeah. it really took me by surprise. I've flown all over the world in my life. So I got on a plane one day, not expecting anything, but to be on an airplane right. with the usual trepidation that any normal person would have about flying. But suddenly I started shaking and crying and sweating and hyperventilating. It's like out of the clear blue sky. Mm. I, it was um, bizarre. Yeah. And so I got off the plane and tried to get on the next plane. I had to fly somewhere for work and same thing, mm. got off again and tried to get drunk because <laughs> I'm like, I'll just, Get drunk. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. This is my last resort because I'm not much of a drinker. It's very easy for me to get drunk, but I drank a lot. Mm. And I did not get 
drunk or tipsy at all. Mm-hmm. I just had so much adrenaline in my system. I just, on the spot, had a full-blown attack of claustrophobia. Oh. It wasn't like a fear of flying. It was a fear of being enclosed. Mm. So, I, I had, took medication when I needed to fly from that point on for a few years. Mm-hmm. And as a meditation teacher, of course, countless friends and people because I wrote about this episode in a book so I've I've talk, spoken about it also to people who I don't know or don't know me mm-hmm. but it's natural anybody would think well can't you just meditate right can't you meditate it away <laughs> yeah and the answer is no <laughs> no no actually no <laughs> it's impossible it, it and it's and it's crazy and it's wrong-headed yeah to yeah. try in fact it's it's harmful yeah yeah well it almost i i'm for the clients that i have who struggle with panic that it's it's it almost intensifies the 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 anxiety and the and the panic if you're pushing against it and saying i need to fix this so, oh, i could not agree with you more yeah Med- meditation is not for everyone mm. and it's not for anyone all the time and as you so rightly point out it it amplifies everything meditation Mm. amplifies yeah it doesn't dissolve or remove it points it it's pushed it points you right at your experience Mm -hmm. which is the power of it and the and the um this is the power of it yeah and why it shouldn't be done lightly like oh prescriptively Mm -hmm. so yeah. But it did help me, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, when I was drugged, um, I could watch my mind. I'm not suggesting anyone take drugs. But when I was having, I could see the panic attacks coming, mm. like, like you're seeing a storm on the horizon. Mm. I couldn't prevent it, but I could watch it. And because I had trained as in mindfulness, I was able, to some extent, to observe it take hold of me with a slight remove the Mm. remove of medication yeah but it was instructive and then i I started practicing doing that without the medication Mm. and i'm not saying that oh that was a magic cure but you know when your limbic system is on fire you're like an animal and say to say well why don't you just breathe deeply or follow your breath or meditate it'd be like saying that to your cat <laughs> if you drop a stack of books or something just, just, just relax just books just breathe <laughs> yeah so as a person who has experienced panic and knows well has worked through you've come to a place where right now you're not getting panic attacks you've been able to um I guess, manage through, or I'm not sure what the right words are, but how do you help your students, the people you work with, you know, what advice do you have for them if they're, if they have anxiety or if they're stressed out or if they're experiencing panic attacks? Well, I imagine just judging from the brief conversation we had before we started this interview that it's not dissimilar from what, the way you approach it. I first say, don't try to apply meditation as a 
panacea. If you want to learn to meditate because you have anxiety, that's fantastic. But please, please consult with your therapist or your healthcare provider. Somebody needs to determine if this could possibly be dangerous for you. And I don't have that skill set. So that's first. Although I have, you know, meditated with people who do become anxious or have panic attacks that they had no idea were coming but right. that, that's that's a different different story mm-hmm. but otherwise the the way that i think meditation helps is not by as we have both said getting rid of anxiety but there's sort of two ways to relax with something that is upsetting and this is obviously very broad strokes but one way is get away from it mhm cool if you can do that Great. Right, right. <laughs> it's not, you can't always do that, however, and it's not the most practical thing. Like, for me, to get away from it, that would mean don't fly anywhere, don't get in an elevator, Yeah, you know, don't go out into crowds. Right. Yeah, or or, to, or stop feeling those feelings. Like in, or stop feeling those feelings. <laughs> That's right. And, but the other way is rather than contracting away from what is painful which sometimes one must do, expand to include it. Mm. And that is also relaxing. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, although it sounds counterintuitive, you can relax with your lack of relaxation. You can relax with your feelings, your anxiety, your fear. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be afraid of fear. You can have fear or anger, anxiety, whatever it is. And turn toward it on good days and feel it. And feeling is a an under... We're not really taught how to feel. We're taught how to think. Mm. We're taught how to assess. We're taught how to categorize. But in this arena, feel means feel. Feel, usually it means in your body, like where is it? Are your shoulders tense? Is your breath short? Is your stomach hurt. or But I've discovered that feeling, it doesn't always work that way for everyone. It's not always body-based. Mm. For me, it's inv- it feels like the environment changes. Mm. Like, I, that's how it, I feel, oh, I'm in a dark space. I, there's a heaviness in the room or... Yeah. It's a felt sense of the environment. So, okay. So, in meditation practice, and it teaches you how to Place your attention on that and then feel it. Mm. It's textures, it's sharp points, it's wispy pieces, right. but, but not the story of it, yeah. which is meditation is, helps you separate the story, which is important. I feel this way because, or if only I hadn't done that. Those things can be very useful, but there also can be a way of bypassing and when you just feel, even if it's for a few moments, not with not with the intention of hurting yourself and don't push yourself, I've seen in myself and my students that some kind of metabolization metabolization process is initiated. Mm-hmm. I can't say what it will be or where it will go, but it's it's not the stuckness of I don't want to feel this. Well, I feel it. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. And that's such an interesting, as you said, like, instead of 
assigning this story to it, like I feel this way because or, um, but just saying, this is how I'm feeling. And yes, the because can be important, but just allowing the feeling without the story, without the the judgment, without the whatever else there might be, um, the criticism, it mm-hmm. can just yeah, I, somehow. I, for me, in some ways, it like takes the power away of you know from that anxiety to to derail me. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. It, it, Buddhist thought. There's many ways of talking about suffering. The, the first noble truth of Buddhism is life is suffering, right. which doesn't mean life sucks. It just means life, it's, just, it's unsatisfying. There's no place to land. Mm. So, that suffering is not optional. Mm-hmm. We're all going to have loss. We're all going to have disappointment. We're all going to feel pain. That, that's, that's part of being human. It, it is not optional. Mm-hmm. But what we add to it is optional. And the Buddhist view is that what we add to it is actually the most painful. And if you can work with the narrative, which can be instructive and useful on one hand, but when it's all you have Mm -hmm. and you keep trying to find a better narrative or change the existing narrative or drop this narrative to pick up that narrative, thinking that that will resolve something deeper than narrative – then you get in a weird loop. Yes, yes. Well, because the narrative too then can increase your anxiety because of all the things you're thinking about. That's true. (laughs) I feel like that's a great segue. The whole, um, you know, we are human and humans suffer. And like you said, that doesn't mean life sucks, but that's just part of our experience. Mm -hmm. And then you bring that human experience, I'm going to segue into your book, into relationships. Mm -hmm. Like that can make relationships really hard because, (laughs) right? Uh I think one thing you said, see if I can find it. Oh, I'm going to read a a quick, whoops, I just dropped my pen. Uh, A quick quote from your book, if that's okay. Oh, please. Yeah, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. So he said, so if you are ever thinking, when am I ever going to get comfortable in this relationship? I invite you to consider that the answer might be never. (laughs) (laughs) Which made me laugh. And so then you said, I've come to think that the most deeply loving gesture I can make within my relationship is to tolerate my own discomfort, to recognize my feelings and leave the story behind, to cease and desist desist from threatening my husband's consequences should he fail to be the person I need him to be rather than the person that he is. And to me, uh, you know, I don't mean to make light of that, that being funny, but, um, but I feel like it sort of adds to our conversation here that, you know, within relationships, if you're both having, you know, struggling with being comfortable, that can cause some issues sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that surprised me and continues to surprise me is that, no, and nobody ever told me this, relationships never stabilize. Yeah. It just kept thinking, well, we'll get through this issue and we'll confront this thing and I'll change this way and you'll change that way. And 
there'll be some smooth sailing situation at some point. But then I realized, oh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's We're going to feel close. We're going to feel distant. We're going to upset each other. We're going to repeat the upsetting behavior, and it's not going to upset you this time. And it, it just, it never stabilizes. Yeah. So that's what, that's the... Uh, that's the first noble truth of love. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable in the sense that we want it to be stable. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's uncomfortable to go through those phases, although some certainly feel better than others. But it's when we think it should be comfortable, which is sort of the second noble truth, mm-hmm. that actually causes a lot of the discomfort. And I have to say, you know, I am so, A, I'm happy I'm married for a lot of reasons. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's a crazy thing to do with another person. But if I was trying to date these days, I don't know what I would do because it seems like the overarching sort of the gestalt is how do I find someone to cast in the role of partner? Mm. I, I want them to have this quality and that quality and this color hair and this, you know, have this degree and that it's like you're putting in an order with central casting and then thinking that yeah. when that role is filled, something good will happen. But better or worse, just falling in love just doesn't seem to work that way. Mm-mm. It definitely doesn't. And, and two, I think, I, and as you said, like nobody tells you that it's like having a baby. Like it's hard work and yeah. – and, and getting married or being in a committed relationship, it's work, you know. And as you said, as things flux, as things change, as you get older or whatever it is, like it's always changing mm. and always takes work. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and that bummed me out a lot. <laughs> you know, people always say relationships take a lot of work. And I would always think, oh, if- I'm really not interested in that work, but it, it, and I, I, I'd love to find a different word. Not that I have anything against the word work. I love to work. Mm. I'm a workhorse, but it's something other than that when it comes to relationships. It's, it's more like there's this quote that I mentioned in the book because it basically says my whole book in one quote. And <laughs> I'm a little upset with the person who said it, but uh, no, not really. I read this quote like 10 years ago, and it planted the seeds for this book. It's something said by a Zen priest and poet named John Tarrant Roshi. It's so beautiful. He said, attention is the most basic form of love. Mm. Through it, we bless and are blessed. And I, I find that the work is has to do with that, the notion of attention. Yeah. How much attention am I willing to put on you? How much attention am I willing to put on myself? And then when things are upsetting to me, I want to withdraw my attention. Mm. And the work is how do I keep open? Not how do I slog away at this and try different strategies and sure, try different strategies. But that's not the work part. The, for me, the work is how do I remain open? And it's... Uh, that takes a lot of effort. Yeah, it really does. Mm-hmm. It really does because it's so easy to, as you say, sort of close yourself or withdraw your attention if things aren't going the way you want them to or if there's a problem. It's interesting. I recently, in my own marriage, 
I tell the story to my, I do a group of mindfulness for women and just saying that like, it's so easy to just sort of get up, go downstairs, do your thing, have your coffee, you know, kind of, I go right to my computer, start thinking about work. And I was like, what would it be like if I decided instead to get up, do a little mini meditation when I woke up, just sitting in bed by myself, my husband usually gets up before me. And then when I got downstairs, I was sort of ready to engage with him versus, you know, so creating that space to want to engage versus being half awake and not really feeling it and not mm. wanting him to say anything to me before I had my coffee. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that's crazy, Elizabeth. I got to tell you right now. <laughs> I think you should have your time and have your coffee and then see how you feel. There you go. There you, you, know, go. you don't want to get in a fist fight first thing. Absolutely not. No, 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 do not. He's one who wants to engage immediately. So I had to be ready to figure out how I could engage in a way that made me feel like I was ready to do that. And having that space before I went downstairs has made a difference. No, that's great. (laughs) So talk to us a little bit more about your book, The Four Noble Truths of Love. Because to me, connection is so important in our world and as humans. And I feel like we are disconnected society in some ways right now. And so our relationships are really what help keep us connected. So talk to us about the the four noble truths of love and how that helps keep us in our relationships or helps those relationships be healthier. Sure. Well, the first noble truth of love is relationships never stabilize, as we've mm-hmm. sort of talked about already. Mm-hmm. They just don't. They're uncomfortable. Whether you're you, you haven't even met the person. You're going on a blind date. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. If they like me, what if they don't? And then falling in love, of course, heavenly, legitimately so. But it, it's it's very intense and fraught. And the discomfort is, why did I say that? Or where what is it? this going? And that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the discomfort of long-term relationships is just, they're, they're just lousy with irritation. It's not something else that no one ever told me. There's just <laughs> a lot of irritation. It's... <laughs> it's weird how that works. Yeah. Um, and the second noble truth is thinking that they should be stable and comfortable is actually what makes them more unstable and less comfortable. So imagine how it would be if you sort of let go of that expectation that this should be comfortable for me. How would you walk into your house? How would you approach mm-hmm. your conversations with your loved ones? And I, I also want to say... and. I'm sure that you feel this way too, that there are certain kinds of discomfort that are not applicable to mm. this approach, like addiction, abuse. I'm not, don't want anyone to think, well, some Buddhist lady said I'm supposed to, you know, deal with my own discomfort. But if there are things like abuse or addiction, then of course, that's, those are different things. This does not apply. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third noble truth of love is that meeting the discomfort together or riding the instability together is love. Mm. Like, I've really discovered that a great partner is not necessarily someone who will face off with you when there are issues, but someone who, yeah, you sure, look at each other, talk it through, figure out who did what and, and how to fix it. But a great partner is one who will also turn to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and look at the ride. Like, wow, we are so close right now. It's so great. 
now we aren't. Mm. Now you love me. I don't really care for you. And now it's the opposite. And just someone who will be open and not think that being in love is just as good as not being in love, but being aware of the ride. And someone who will, you know, metaphorically and literally hold hands with you and lock eyes with you and do it together. It's yeah, it's amazing if you could find someone like that. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth noble truth is that there is that there's a way to do these things. It's not just oh that sounds good, let me try it. But the fourth noble truth of Buddhism, because the four noble truths of Buddhism are the core teachings of the entire Buddha Dharma. There, I did not make up the four noble truths. I just applied them to love. Mm-hmm. And the four noble truths of Buddhism is called the eightfold path. Mm-hmm. So, their right view, right intention, right speech, and so on. In relationships, the fourth noble truth of love is not eight, but certain qualities that you could bring mm-hmm. that would help you live the first three noble truths mm-hmm. beyond ideas. So, you know, they involve things like creating the foundation. The foundation of a relationship, these are very broad strokes, is honesty which first means knowing the truth and doesn't mean blurting out what you think, obviously. It just means yeah. knowing the truth and then skillfully sharing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I put also in the foundational category, good manners, mm. like really good manners. I don't mean like knowing which fork to use, but thoughtfulness. Kindness. Mm-hmm. Kindness. Yeah, you think about your, your partner who wants to connect before in the morning and you don't. But you find some way that good manners means you make some space, mm-hmm. not for everything, but just being thoughtful. And if yes. you're in a relationship with someone who can't be honest and will not think about you, then you can't have a relationship. You could have a love affair, yeah. but you, you can't really – that foundation is important. And, and then mm-hmm. the next quality is to begin to view the person you're in a relationship with as having equal importance to yourself in the relationship. And, and it may, that may sound funny, but often we think, oh, that person is more important. Mm-hmm. Or we yeah. think, I'm more important. Mm-hmm. But equal importance is a is sort of a, a subtle and important balance. Absolutely. And then the final bit piece of this fourth noble truth, which is are the steps to take, is... Uh, to view everything that happens between you as much as possible, barring abuse and addiction, not as a way to deepen love, which has its own rhythms, but as a way to deepen intimacy, which has no end. Mm. When I realized that, I was very heartened. Yeah, I love, I don't know. Some days I feel love, some days I don't, but to deepen intimacy, to show more of myself, to see more of you, there is no end to that journey. can always go deeper. And yeah. I can promise that I can vow to try to do. I can't vow to love. But I can vow to deepen intimacy. So, that seemed like practical and also beautiful mm-hmm. to me. Well, and that intimacy, well, sharing your own intimate truths, but also being able to hear others is so connecting and validating, but also just 
does deepen that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's a powerful thing to be able to do and be to be willing to do. Yeah, and hard to do. It's very hard. <laughs> very, yeah, challenging, daunting, important. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Well, Susan, I have appreciated so much your sharing your your work and your journey with your meditation practice and uh, your teachings. I wondered if there was something, I know, oh, I did want you to talk a little bit about the Open Heart Project, which I know that you created, and I think the listeners would love to hear about that. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'd be delighted. This yeah. is my, my heart's deepest work, I would say. I have an online meditation community called the Open Heart Project, and it's free. And if anybody who signs up gets a meditation instructional video from me once a week. Uh, it's 10 minutes long, 10-minute guided sit, preceded by a short talk, 5 to 10 minutes long, about something related to meditation or spiritual practice or applying your mindfulness in everyday life. Mm-hmm. So please, if you're interested, if you want support for your meditation practice, check it out. Check out the Open Heart Project. And are there things that you would like to talk about just in terms of your offerings or things that are coming up? Maybe, I don't know if you're speaking somewhere, but anyway, are there things that you would like to tell the audience about? Yeah, thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. I, I'm teaching a uh, week-long meditation retreat in Colorado, in two hours north of Denver, a place called Shambhala Mountain Center, and it's it's a week-long sit in March. I think it starts March 16th, and it's uh, my favorite thing to do, and it, it's it's a way of really resetting everything mm. and so that's coming up in march and they if anybody's interested they can find it on my website susanpiver.com awesome that sounds amazing it's fun yeah so again thank you for being a guest i really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me and the audience and so thanks you're welcome my pleasure it was really nice to talk with you Thanks so much for tuning in once again to the Woman Warriors podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Susan. I just always appreciate when my guests are very are willing to share their personal stories and their journey with anxiety and what has helped them. So I really appreciated Susan's openness and honesty in talking about her own struggle with panic attacks. I have enjoyed reading her book, uh, The Noble Four Noble Truths of Love. So if you guys are interested in that, there will be a link to that in the show notes, uh, but you can get it at amazon.com for sure. Uh, it's a pretty easy read, not too long, and it definitely opens up some strategies to help manage relationships and on the day-to-day and long-term. So... Thanks again to Progression Counseling for sponsoring this week's episode. If you'd like to know more, if you're a resident of Maryland and are interested in online or individual or group therapy, you can check them out at progressioncounseling.com. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes 
the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.